Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to our Roots Running podcast. I'm Richie Hansen, coach of Roots Running, and I apologize we've been absent for a bit recording these, but I hope to be more consistent in the near future as we head into the Olympic marathon and track trials in 2020. Training and racing obviously take priority for our group, but I hope to put more of these out there to give a closer look into the behind the scenes stuff with our team. And we sincerely appreciate all the support shown to us in the past and hope by following along, you feel a part of our athlete's journey. We'll be rolling out some new gear here in the next few weeks, which will be for sale on our website, rootsrunning.org. So please consider picking up an item or making a donation to our group to help support what we're trying to do. All sales and donations are tax deductible, which helps support our athletes with gear and travel funds to make training and racing a little easier. So please, if if you're looking to support us in other ways other than just following along on social media, please consider checking out that, that gear sale when it does roll out. Um, now on to the podcast in this week's episode. In this episode, I sit down with our newest female athlete, Jen Bergman. And to be honest, we weren't really sure what type of athlete we were going to get when we took on Jen. We took her on back in the, at the end of March, beginning of April of this year. Um, her agent had approached me at the beginning of the year at the Houston Half Marathon back in January and asked if I'd be willing to take her on or explore the idea of taking her on. And I was a little skeptical at first. Because Jen is very talented. She showed a lot of ability when she was a, a collegiate athlete, finishing 3rd, 12th, and 6th in the 10K at the at the national championships. But she kind of fell off the map the last couple of years and hadn't really run competitively since 2017, bouncing around from a few different groups. So anytime I'm adding a new athlete, I always have to weigh the talent that the athlete shows, the personality and the impact that that athlete might have when adding them into the dynamic of the rest of the group. And with that said, we got very lucky with Jen. We were willing to take a chance on her, and she's exceeded those expectations in such a short amount of time. She's been an awesome addition, and we're starting to see glimpses of what she can do. And assuming she can stay healthy here in the future, she has tremendous untapped potential as an elite. So I hope you enjoy learning a little bit more about her backstory, and thank you again for all your support. When if you look back at college, it was structured and it was consistent, and that's kind of what I need. Like when I saw the coach of the very first group I joined out of college, we laughed because he's like, oh my gosh, you're grown up now. And I'm like, I told when I introduced Josh, I was like, Josh is the coach that was stuck with me my first year out of college. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Roots Running Sessions podcast. It's been a while since we recorded our last podcast. Our last one was back in the spring with one of our female athletes, Lexi Zeiss. But today we are sitting down with our newest female athlete, Jennifer Bergman. She joined us back in the spring as well, somewhere around April, mm -hmm. right? Um, but she's just now coming off of the Chicago Marathon where she ran 234 big eight-minute PR. She finished 16th overall and finished as the eighth American. And she kind of has a unique backstory of uh, showing some success early in the sport, kind of taking a break a little bit, and then getting back into it this last year, moving to Boulder. And we've seen her make 
exponential jumps in not only what she's been doing in training, but what the expectation might be when she goes to races. So thought it would be fun for her to kind of tell her story, rehash the race, and tell us what she's looking forward to coming up. So thanks for joining us today, Jen. Thank you. You sound a little hoarse after the weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that from, from race or the after party? Uh, it was both, the combination of both, yeah. It was it was definitely worth, worth it this weekend with uh, setting, like I said, an eight-minute PR. Your PR previous to this was 242. Um, and then it was obviously fun hanging out with all the athletes post-race because everyone was riding a pretty big high with, with five for five. Yeah. I think a lot of people are asking about your training more yeah. than my PR five, five for five is pretty impressive. Yeah. So what Jen's referring to is back in the spring, we kind of outlined the Chicago marathon for five of our athletes as a potential race for the athletes that train with us here in Boulder, Jenna, Jen being one of them, Noah Drotti, Alex Monroe, Willie Milam the other three, but then also one of our development athletes who I coach online, Will Cross. It is very difficult in those buildups, especially at the elite level, for everyone to make the starting line healthy in one piece um, when there's the stakes are so high when it comes to training. So to go five for five with athletes lining up on the starting line healthy and then all five setting big PRs was a, was a big accomplishment for us as a group. And Jen, you were obviously a big part of that. Um, what were your going into the race? You, we had kind of outlined some expectations of what we thought a feasible time goal would have been, but do you remember back in the, the spring when you and I sat down for the first time, what you had outlined as a goal you would like to hit for the fall? I believe a standard was the goal. Just breaking 237 would have been a good day back in the spring. And as you progress through training, that gradually progressed. We started thinking, okay, maybe you're in sub-235 shape. Every month, it like moved up like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we were starting seeing big jumps in training. How is that going through that process where you're getting more confidence, you're seeing the training start to start to come down in terms of what the expectation might be? What was it like wrapping your head around okay, I had set my goal as 237. Now I might try to go out at 230 pace. Yeah, so that's why when I crossed the finish line in Chicago, I was kind of blank at first because um, I went out and I was right on 230 pace halfway. So even though 234 was a huge PR, and I don't think a ton of people knew I was going for sub 230. Uh, not a lot of people have seen my workouts the last few months. So that was I'm not going to say a secret goal, but to go from a 2.42 marathon or to I think I can break 2.30 um, usually doesn't happen very often. So right when I crossed at 2.34, I didn't know if I was happy or sad right at the moment. And I had the nicest lady ever because I was completely silent. She put the, what do you call those things? Um, the, the medals. Not the, the foil. The foil around me. And we just walked for like two or three minutes silently back to the elite tent. And then she just looked at me. and was like, I know that you don't know me and you don't know my name. I don't know how you're feeling right now, but I just want to say you did your best, and I'm so proud of you. And then I started choking up, and then I saw Josh, and then it was game over. I started bawling. Josh, your boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my partner. Um, I started bawling, and I didn't know if it was happy or sad. And then Neil and, and Coach Richie and Josh were told me they were so proud. I didn't know if they were going to be disappointed or sad that I had run 234. Well, we just we were also <laughs> just a little bit tired because we just spent most of the day running, running around Running around, course. screaming, yeah. Oh, their voices were toast. Yeah. But I mean, you like you said, you went out in seventy five oh seven. What was your half PR coming in before this fall? 
it was 7404 and I had only hit that one time five years ago. My every other half marathon was in the 75 to 76 range usually. Now you were making good strides back in the spring, but then you got a foot injury at the end of April after doing that 5k down in Florida. You had intentionally planned on doing the half marathon or the full marathon out at Grandma's, but we switched it to the half because of the the foot injury. And because you had missed so much time, we kind of dialed back what the goal should have been at that race. So you end up running 76 minutes and we were saying, okay, if you can go out and run marathon pace off of the four weeks you had of training Mm -hmm. leading into it, we would take that as a win. So even though it wasn't necessarily a testament to what your fitness had been building up towards in the spring, it was still a good performance of the day. Now you're running a minute faster at the halfway point of the marathon four months later pretty incredible starting point at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew once I crossed halfway, I, I knew I was in trouble a little bit. <laughs> it wasn't hard, but it, it uh, didn't feel probably the way a halfway point should in a marathon, but it, it wasn't had, hard. And you had a group, right? Yeah. So I, that, that was the, like the, in mile six, I, I kind of made a, a decision. I knew that this pace was a little bit uh, beyond or probably a little too fast than what I should be doing. But there wasn't really for, – for Chicago Marathon, I thought there was going to be groups for every minute, every 30 seconds. But there wasn't – at one point early on, I had to play catch-up and catch-up to the group because there was nobody else. There was that 229 pack, and it just seemed like I was going to be stuck solo or running mostly alone if I didn't go with them. So, like, at mile six, I kind of just made the decision. We had talked about trying to go for sub-230, so I decided to just hold on to the pack as long as I could. Now, you and I were talking before the podcast about kind of what your splits look like going in. Your first 5K, you're around 545 average. Your second 5K, you're about 547 average. But then your third 5K picked up to around a 539 average. Could you feel that shift? Did you know you were accelerating or did it feel like you're in a good rhythm? Like I was saying, I I don't remember feeling like we went, the group went faster than normal. So I think in... Probably if I asked Taylor Ward or Lauren, uh, we could figure out what happened because I was with them for the first six miles. Um, I think what happened is we fell off the pack a little bit, and then I it, we got to a windy patch, and I saw the 229 pack, and I like just went kind of just went straight for the pack. Yeah, because Laura Thweet ended up at 229.07, and I think at like 20K, you were maybe like a couple seconds behind her. So it was almost like mm-hmm. you guys had accelerated up to the back of their group. Yeah, I think that's why there was the drop in the pace because I think their splits were pretty pretty even the whole way now when you passed halfway were you already like you said you started feeling like you were hitting a challenging effort already early was that at halfway was it before halfway there's a if i look oh because my garmin didn't have gps on there was a mile where i was like okay i needed to like just it was before the bottle stations i remember being like i need to like back off the path this isn't gonna end well if i keep going it was around 14 or 15 and I was like I need to just slow down and like focus on my own rhythm so I backed off like 15 seconds for that mile and then I remember thinking just keep going you're fine this pace isn't that bad and I held on so, so I remembered because I had written on my my forearm like the, 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 the like every five miles four or five miles different splits I should hit and I remember backing off for one or two miles and then getting right back on pace and then be like okay I'm only 30 seconds off of running sub 230 and then the next one, it was like, okay, I'm only a minute off of running sub 230. And that just kind of happened the rest of the race. Yeah. Where did it really start to go south 
20 miles. It was when the wind was was bad and it felt like it was just coming. We'd pass a building or we'd make a turn and it just felt like the wind just kept coming at my face and I had nobody to follow. So that was when it was the legs were, were falling off of me plus the wind. You brought up an interesting thing just a few minutes ago. You said your GPS was off. That was something that we had emphasized pre-race because especially in marathons in those bigger cities, the GPS can give you false feedback. That was still new to you, though, because you're, you're, you've become reliant on GPS during some of the long run, longer efforts, long runs, tempos. Um, we might use intervals using splits, but you'll still have the GPS turned on when you're doing that. Was it, was it hard for you to kind of find that rhythm while you're just relying on that mile-to-mile split that you might take without having that GPS feedback? I think if I had it, I probably would have gone out. I probably would have just let the pack go from the beginning because when I went with the pack, it didn't feel that hard, and I wasn't too worried about the mile splits. And but then, then once you were there, you were committed. Yeah, and then I think had I had it or had the splits at the end of the race, I would have – the because I stayed pretty positive the whole race. There was never a point where I was like, I suck. I should just drop out. Like I'm slowing down. People are passing me. I think if I had had the splits feedback, I might have had negative thoughts spiral quicker um, rather than just, like, stay focused, keep pushing. You're not slowing down too much. Well, it's going to be exciting, too, knowing that you're in uncharted territory. You're still going to hit a huge PR as long as you can. And that's what I was thinking about the whole time. Like, okay, I'm not going to break 230, and I'm not going to be top 10, but I'm still going to run 232. And then it was 233, and I'm like, okay, if I can just finish, I'm going to hit a 234. And that's what, that's what happened. Was it, um, this was the first time you've been in a race where you had bottle support? Uh, actually in CIM, so I've, I've done the trials and then CIM twice. Did you have it at CIM? And we had bottle support, yeah. It wasn't though, I didn't have, I just used the regular squirt bottles. This was the first time using the ketchup bottles and it made a huge difference. Yeah, how was it getting fluid done? Oh, so easy. I wouldn't like never, I wouldn't change a thing for the next, the next, for the, I guess the trials would be the next marathon, but yeah, I wouldn't change anything. I had, like, as far as logistics go, I had no cramps. I didn't have to go to the bathroom once. My stomach didn't bug me at all. There was, as far as that goes, it couldn't have gone any smoother. And being in your first world marathon major, oh, definitely different so than the fun. others, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, I was, we were talking about that before. Everything was so easy. You just have to get on a plane and get there, and they take care of the rest. It was really, really nice. And what I, I, I found out, what was it, three weeks before the race? Because um, I was practicing with throwaway cups all the way up until right after Philly is when I was accepted into the elite field. Yeah, you were supposed to be part of the American development field, mm-hmm. which for those at home, the difference between the American development field and elite field, American <clears> development <throat> field does not get bottle support. You just get a place on the starting line behind the elites. There's no travel assistance. You're not staying close to the race start unless you're paying a ridiculous amount to a hotel in order to do that. Whereas in the elite field, a lot of times the races will cover the travel of the athlete they might also structure in some bonuses for the athlete, depending on how fast they run. They'll c- cover meals in a lot of circumstances. They escort them to and from the finish line. They give them bottle support during the race so the athlete can prepare their own bottles, have it on elite tables that they can take during the race. And then you obviously get your own dedicated area at the start line with restrooms and escorts to the start line. And they let your coach and your agent, your significant others. That was the first time I ever had people with me at the start and the finish. That was really cool. I will say, like you had your agent and obviously I was there with you. 
I think Josh may have been one of the only significant others in that tent. So I'm not surprised. Josh is good at uh, finag- he, he finagling. He his way. Way. Yeah. He gave me. I was getting on the bus and I turned and saw him getting on behind <laughs> me. He gives me a big thumbs up and a smile. Yeah, because Noah sat right next to me. I never thought in a million years Josh would be on the bus. Yeah. With us. yeah. So he and obviously he's been a big part of your build up along the way. Mm-hmm. He's ridden the bike with you on some of your longer efforts, and he's been a positive support to our group. What has that meant like to you having him be part of that experience, especially at a, at your first major in a big, big jump like that? Oh, it's been so helpful. I'm sure we'll get to South America soon, but it's kind of doing what we did in South America, just with structure in Boulder. Because in South America, he didn't come or he didn't bike with me by choice. I, I'm a small blonde chick in the middle of Ecuador. I couldn't go running by myself. He either had to run with me or he had to bike with me. So for every, I, we, I ran every single day in South America up until the last month when I got a foot injury, but he was biking or running with me every single step of the way. Yeah. And you said, uh, you told me a little bit ago, he actually, like, he's not, he, he kind of hates running, doing it himself, <laughs> but he's become a runner. He's yeah. He was a, he was a snowboarder and a partier in college. He actually was a professional snowboarder going into college and then he got a really bad injury and, um, he had to stop competing, but he his first race ever was when he met me he decided he had to do a marathon if he's dating a marathoner so he didn't do a 5k or 10k he just did a marathon which one did he do he did a, it was a pretty tough course actually it was bellingham marathon and it it wasn't easy they went on trails for a little bit there were some hills he didn't really know what he was doing so do you remember how fast he ran in he ran 313 and now he wants to break three hours at cim right yeah. that's the goal mm-hmm. so He's been, he'll come out sometimes to, to run easy with Jen. He'll come out to help support us at some of our workouts and runs. But he's also been doing his own training on the side to, to get ready for CIM. So that'll be, you're going to go out there for it's it. It's kind of fun for me because you get, everyone talks about the post-marathon blues. So now I'm like, oh, now it's Josh's turn. So I'm, this weekend we're just, we're, I'm going to bike with him. He'll do uh, his first depletion run ever. Yeah, you're 18 coaching miles. Right yeah. 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 He gets like the, the Richie... What is it, Richie? Uh, Beginner package. Copyright, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you going to prep his bottle or prep his fluids? I do. Uh, for his for all of his long runs, I do, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Um, so you brought up South America, so let's kind of dial it back to like how you got into running. Um, do you remember when you first started running? Um, yes. I sucked at every other sport. So my dad was like, oh, you're so good at hiking with me. You should try cross country. This was back in high school? This was back in middle school. Yeah. I, I didn't make the softball team or there was some team I didn't make and I was super upset. And my dad was like, well, we always go hiking and you're so good at it. So you should try cross country. And I literally, I remember asking him like, why would I run across the country? That doesn't make any sense. Where'd you grow up? In California, San Jose. So, uh, when you guys would go hiking, where would you guys go? Oh, all over the place. Uh, Monterey, Santa Cruz. There's some good hills in Los Gatos. So just being pretty active growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you ended up being good enough in high school to go to University of Arizona. So yeah, I still sucked in middle school. I still, like, I didn't like, I wasn't one of those, oh, your first race, look at this talent. And I still, like, like last place in my first race ever. <laughs> I walked it into the finish. But I learned early on that it, my dad started coaching me. And we learned pretty, he started reading running books, like, none of my Neither one of my parents were runners, so he just started reading runny books and coaching me. And I realized really quickly if I run every day or if I just, like, train a li- It wasn't even every day. Of, like, if I run four or five days a week, I'm getting super fast quickly. So at the end of middle school, I became pretty good and, like, winning a lot of the meets. And then in high school, 
I think when I qualified for Foot Locker Nationals my senior year, that was when all the doors to college opened up. Where were you getting recruited by outside of Arizona? Um, it ended up coming down to, I was so all over the place, University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan, I really wanted to go to, but they the coach told me they did not recruit from California because huh. he didn't think they could handle the weather. You still wear your Michigan I know, I know. My family's Michigan family, but they did not want me. So that was off the list. It was Wisconsin, uh, University of Santa Barbara, University of Colorado, and then Arizona. And... Uh, when you went to Arizona, you ended up being a seven-time All-American, but you were a sixth-place finisher in the 10K your senior year. You were a third-place finisher in the 10K your sophomore year of eligibility. Did, did, were you hurt between freshman and sophomore year? No, actually, I never. I had, like, little shin splint things here and there, but I never, uh, I think. But you didn't it, qualify for nationals freshman year. Freshman year was the only year to make it, yeah. And then sophomore year, you're third. Yeah. So how does it feel, like, what was that like, going from not qualifying the year before to then finishing third at the NCAA meet? I would say that whole year and a half was kind of like this last year and a half I had, where it was the summer before my, my sophomore year in high school. I was training in Austin, and... Humidity training, altitude training are kind of similar, but they're both just hard. They're just hard, yeah. Um, and I came back from training like that. And I remember I had to be up at Town Lake by like 5.30 a.m. every single morning, which is a sophomore in college. just isn't that fun, but yeah. I did it. Um, so I remember going back. It was one of those, like, how it was the last few months where every single workout and, like, long run. You're was just big jumps. Just better than, way better than the year before. Yeah. And then the rest of the year, yeah, I just hit PRs in every event and then in um nationals and it was in it was in iowa that year des moines iowa it was really hot and humid so i think the summer training in austin played in my favor because i mean i do remember one chick i think she like she stumbled off the track with heat problems um so it was a it was a rough one that year do you remember who beat you i remember um oh first and second who was it Oh, I usually, yeah. There's a picture. I remember there's a picture of us that came with my memories in the spring. Yeah. Juliet Paterov and Kate Harrison. That's right. So Juliet Paterov ran for BAA for a little bit. But you look at some of the people on this list, you have Katie Matthews, who's still running. You have Alphine Tuliamuk, who was fifth that year, who runs for NAZ Elite. Bridget Lyons still runs for uh, uh, Atlanta Track Club. You have Tara Erdman, now... Tara Welling. Uh, Betsy Sena looks like she DNF'd. I think she was the one I remember stumbling off the track, and I was like, oh, no. I mean, she just ran pretty fast this, not too long ago at, at the marathon. Yeah, so. she's good. She's really good. Yeah, so you obviously you found yourself in good company pretty early on in your collegiate career. Going from that success sophomore year to junior year, you still qualified for nationals, but didn't place quite as high. What happened... Junior year, I remember it was a coaching switch that kind of messed with me a little bit. Uh, my coach, um, Coach Aaron Dawson, who I was really close with, she went to Ole Miss. I, I, can't, remember, I can't remember if that was the right where she went. Um, but that kind of came out of nowhere, and that definitely threw off my spring season. Uh, I mean, I still had a pretty... You were still 12. I was 12. I remember that race being particularly bad where it was in awe. Or where was it? I remember being hot again. It was in Des Moines again. Yeah, and I just didn't uh, just didn't have the wheels that year. I don't know if it was the the coaching switch that just that wasn't go well, or if it just wasn't a good 
a good day for me. Uh, well, and some of those women, too. You have Natasha Rogers, Alphine Tulema, Becky Wade, uh, Deborah Mayer, Elvin Cabet. Like, it's it's a pretty good group of women that that uh, you race against. Also in that race, Noah Drati's girlfriend, Emma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How'd she do? She was 16th in that, in that nice. race. Nice. Yeah. I mean, what very well could happen is they went out really, really hard, and I just died. It's 32-41 is the win. That's yeah, I can't, I can't pinpoint title. what happened. I just remember not being happy going from 3rd to 12th. But, again, senior year, you finished 6th. So you're showing success at the 10K, um, but then you joined a group that was – particularly marathon focus mm-hmm. back in dc what made you join that group over looking at other other groups were you looking at other groups at the time no the coach reached out to me right after um i was I think it was eighth at the 10k for the usas and he reached out to me right after that and i got a really really good offer from mizuno and he you know he's a he had serena burla he she's really really fast was i was gonna Lindsay Flanagan was she there. was a year she had another year of eligibility, so okay. she came here after me. Um, but, yeah, he just kind of talked me into it. I had a really good stipend I was going to get every month, housing covered, which was so it was kind of like the dream come true. I didn't really think that when I graduated, like I was planning on kind of getting a job and then hopefully getting a sponsorship or something, and right away he offered me this Mizuno sponsorship. Um, I hadn't ever been out to D.C. to check it out. I just kind of committed And we've seen with athletes in the past, the first year out of college can be a little bit of an adjustment period, a little bit of a challenge. And I did still have a semester of school left. So I, that was trying to take classes while you're finishing. Yeah. And they, that was part of the deals. I said, I can't, I can't leave Tucson yet. I have another semester of, of school to finish. So they, or if I had, Arizona was going to pay for that. Your fifth year is paid for you if you don't compete. So I said, I can't, you know, go professional and pay for school. So they had said they'd pay for it for me if so, I signed. So once you make the move out to DC, was that like, did you find it difficult being on, like now you don't have classes, you don't have a team structure outside of the like six, seven, eight individuals that you're training with. Was that a, did you find it refreshing? Now you just focus on running or was it difficult for you? It was the opposite. Unfortunately, I think, I don't think I can pinpoint it again on one thing. It was a combination of, you know, in Tucson, I had such an amazing support. Like I, teammates I had great roommates I just saw both my roommates from college in Chicago like we're still best friends to this day I was the maid of honor in Liz's wedding a year ago um coach Lee the whole coaching staff out there is great the facilities are great it's a beautiful place to run year round despite a couple months in the summer I had a ton of friends and I was busy I mean my day was scheduled out you know 6 a.m practice you go to practice you go to classes you chill you go to practice and make dinner and go to bed so then when I went to D.C. and just had to run, I found myself extremely lost. Well, I have, didn't have any friends out there. I didn't have any family. And it's winter when you're moving out there, I'm assuming, after you graduated that fall? Um, actually, I spent a, the first semester in Tucson finishing school, and then we went to Albuquerque for six weeks because Serena was getting ready for Boston. And then we went – I remember moving there in April. So it was, a starting, right. to, it was yeah. starting to get yeah. warm. Yeah. Um, well, I've heard DC can be a, a fun running town though. Great trail systems. We did the same trails pretty much every run. There's the, uh, I forget what it's called. There's a trail that goes from like DC to Arlington. Um, it's a nice dirt trail. So we would do that every single Sunday out and back. So it got old after a while. 
not that it really got old. It was just the best. It was kind of the only option. As far as a flat one goes, we would do some hill runs that were great. There's more. There's a lot more trails out there. There was more places to run there than there was in Portland, for sure. Like, yeah. I would say the weather was tough, really tough. Like, Austin, Texas was pretty humid, but D.C. just seemed like a whole, like, oh, it was so hard. You would just finish workouts and be so depleted of everything. So you ran there for a year? Yeah, I was in D.C. for, I think, one year. Yeah, maybe a little over a year. And doing mostly, what, half of road races? Yeah, so I, I ditched the track and went straight to the roads. Qualifying for the 2016 trials was the goal, because it was like 2014 when the window had just opened. Mm-hmm. So hitting a qualifier was the goal. I remember I did Philly was my first half, but it was a year that it was brutally hot. So that one didn't go well, and then... I was injured, and then I hit the 7404 at Houston in 2015. And or it might have been 14. I can't even remember. 15. So did you stay in D.C. through the trials then, or did you... No. I, I left. So I ran 7404 in January, and then I left in April. Sometime in the spring, April or May, um, and went to Portland. And... Uh, if you don't mind me asking, did you leave because, like, you just needed a new environment? Or did you leave because sponsor stuff? What drove you out to Portland? The There was something that really drove me out. The coach is great. I just saw him in Chicago, too. And, like, he has really, really great runners. It just, like, he could clearly see that I wasn't happy out there. I was getting on a plane to go home every chance that I had. Or I was asking him if I could go train and stay at my dad's house in California for a couple months. The commitment on my part, like, I wasn't fully invested in the group, and I think he just saw that I wasn't happy, and so we just parted ways. Why Portland, then? Honestly, I, like, kind of the same reason I moved here. I don't have a solid reason. I just had a few friends out there. I knew it was a great place for running. Uh, I was talking with Skechers a little bit at this point, and my training partner from college was living out in Portland, Elvin Cabet. Mm-hmm. I was friends with Tara Erdman. She was living in Portland. So I'm like, I got a couple solid people to run with. I have some friends out there. And you originally joined a group. You were there for, what, about six months? And then you kind of did self-coaching for a little bit? I went back to Coach Erin. So I, I figured, like, I ran so well in college with her until she had to leave. Me and her had stayed in touch. We're really good friends. I would call her like once a month, like yeah, you especially said you call her after races. when I had rough patches. I would call her, and she'd help me through it. So I was like, Coach Aaron, with the trials being like eight months away, like can you just kind of coach me through to the trials? Yeah, for the 2016 marathon. And trials. that was your first marathon. Mm-hmm. Do you remember much of that day other than it was hot? I do actually. I were, I was my first marathon, and I expected the worst. So I remember going through it, thinking it wasn't as bad as I had had in my head. And I remember the worst part was, like, watching girls just, like, crap. Literally, like, crawling and, like, stopping. And, like, you would see them, like, wobbling back and forth. So that was the worst part. And, I like, if you're running by, like, someone that you know is really, really fast that's walking. Like, I remember that being, like, oh, my gosh. But they luckily, I know they had some sponge issues. But I do remember every three miles, that was my goal was just make it to the sponge station life would be okay. So I just remember going from sponge station to sponge station. And you were 249. Mm-hmm. What did you end up placing? Do you remember? 61st, I think. So pretty good considering the amount of people that also dropped out. Yeah. There was like 220 starters, I think 130, 140 finishers. And I definitely there. started in the back. Like I was in the hundred and something place at the start. So I was passing people the whole way. Did and you, I finished. Yeah. Did you feel uncomfortable during it outside of North, like what you just felt at Chicago? Like was it... 
like the heat or was it the volume of the the distance do you feel like it was both i hadn't run more than like 65 miles a week going into that yeah that was going to be my next my next thing because in this build you're still pretty low volume Mm -hmm. so for context at home like jen is low relative to most of the elite marathoners she races against she's 70 to 75 miles a week on average which this time you hit your highest mileage we tapped into three 80 mile weeks um we were gonna try to hit 185 but scaled it back i think we hit like 78 that week instead just because you're coming off philly um but overall you had consistency there but it was still the highest consistency you've had in a while oh yeah yeah like 60 i would say before the 65 was the highest i've hit so I know that like seventy five eighty is still pretty low for a marathoner, but it's higher than I've ever. High for you, yeah. yeah. And we supplemented some of that with being on the Alter G just mm-hmm. to make sure that like you're getting in volume, but keep, keeping yourself a little bit healthy, especially coming off the foot injury in the, mm-hmm. in the spring. Um, now after the trials, you did CIM in twenty seventeen. But you didn't do a marathon in between trials and CIM in twenty seventeen. I can't really remember racing much in between. Or, tra- any, or training that much, actually. Any reason for that or just... I was working a lot. There was some personal stuff in my life that weren't going well. And I was working a ton. I was personal training and doing group classes at two different studios. So it was kind of like run when you can. I mean, I'd be coaching at like 6 a.m. So sometimes I would run in the evening. And I would just try and meet up with people to work out whenever I could. Um so do that when I ran 2:44 for my second marathon, I was actually pumped about it because the longest run I'd done was 17 miles. And up that, to that was point. CIM 2017. That was CIM. So it's confusing because it's 2016, but it was like right before 2017. Yeah, yeah. Because it's in December. Right. So that was the first CIM when I ran 2:44. And that was U, the U.S. marathon. No, that wasn't quite the U.S. marathon champs. U.S. marathon champs would have been 2017. That was 2017. Yeah. yeah. Um. Going into 2017, like, at that 2017, you PR'd by a little bit. You ran 242. You also broke your foot in that race. Yeah, and I, I can't say it was in the race. I just know that I had a stress fracture. Because after, a few weeks after the race, it was it was super swollen after the race. But I didn't think much of it. I was like, well, I was so ready to take time off. That was when I decided I was going to take a year and just not race. So I didn't go get an MRI or anything or an x-ray. But after a few weeks when it just was hurting with doing nothing, like I wasn't cross-training, doing absolutely nothing, I finally got an MRI and it was a stress fracture. Um, and I didn't go into the race. It was it was sore before the race, but it wasn't hurting. Like I, you could still run. Yeah. So I can't, I mean, I, I'm not someone that does a marathon thinking that I have a stress fracture and just hoping for the best. Um, I knew it was sore, but it wasn't, I'd still hit like a, a 20 mile long run a few weeks before, just fine. Um, and it did hurt during the race, especially my calves. And then after the race, my foot was super swollen. So and then, you just decided, you know what, I'm going to take a break from running for a little bit. I knew, I knew even before I knew I had a stress fracture that I needed a break. Cause I was just with working and like training being all over the place and, like, trying to go from race here to race there it just wasn't working out. I knew I had to change a lot of stuff. Um, so you guys, you and Josh decide, let's backpack through South America? Well, so I decided that was in the very beginning of 2000. And so CIM 
Yeah, a month before 2018. So I knew I was going to take like a year um, before, just to run and see what happens. And I ended up, after my stress fracture went away, I ended up running just as much as I did going into marathon training. Like I was still doing like 18-mile long runs just for fun though, like not for any reason to race. And we knew we were ready to leave our jobs in Portland, and we were kind of – Portland's great, but the weather, we just were some people. So we knew we wanted to move. So we kind of – my best friend was getting married in the Dominican Republic in December. So we decided that we were – that's the next year. So we decided, let's just go South America. We can quit our jobs, and we knew we wanted to move to Boulder, Colorado. Again, for no great reason. I just was out for a run one day, and I'm like, I almost went to school there. I love Boulder. Josh is a snowboarder. He loves the snow. So let's just go figure it out in Boulder. So the the wedding at the end of 2018 mm-hmm. was like kind of... Kind of the deciding point. We knew we were going to go somewhere in the world. Like the culminating point of your trip. Because we figured if we did South America, we'd make our way back to the States by ending it in the Dominican Republic. I gotcha. So where did you guys travel to? We started in Ecuador, and then we went to Chile, and then we were in Argentina, and then Brazil... And I think, yeah, Brazil was the last spot before I went to Dominican Republic. Um, for the most part, pretty safe travel. Any challenges with No, not, not safe at all. <laughs> in Ecuador. So let's, let's restart that. So yeah. travel was not safe at all. No, we thought, I speak Spanish and Josh wanted to learn. So I'm thinking, you know, I know Spanish. How hard can it be? We had chosen to do work away, which is a volunteer program to keep the expenses down. So you basically work and then you get to live for free. Um, depending on which program you're in, you can eat for free. We had picked a spot in Ecuador. We made the mistake. We made the mistake of not looking into it too hard. Uh, we just were like, "Oh, this looks good," and booked our tickets. You know, starting in Ecuador is the cheapest way to go from the states. And yeah, Ecuador wasn't was not a good spot to start. It was the Luckily, it was the worst part of the trip because it was the most dangerous. We were in, like, the poorest part of Ecuador for sure. Um, There was a couple runs we did where Josh was holding rocks in his hands because there were some weird, sketchy people. And you could just, I mean, you could see, like, there was, you could see the cops escorting people that were dealing drugs. It was, like, it was was crazy. Um, So we were there for almost a month. Um, We were going to stay for longer, but we decided, well, I got my, my phone was stolen and Josh got pickpocketed, so we decided we needed to... To, to move on. <laughs> yeah. At that point, we were like, okay, let's go somewhere else. Josh, though, actually convinced the pickpocketer to give his wallet yeah, back. Yeah, I remember you telling me this story, so go ahead and... So it's funny, he ended up in sales. Um, we, we were traveling, and we'd only been to one place that morning, which was a bike shop. And Josh had a, his wallet clipped to his pants. And these people are amazing. Like, you, he, it was literally clipped in his pocket. Like, never in nine years did he think that anyone could take it from his pocket without him noticing. And it was ripped, too. So when we got it back, like, it was definitely, like, it was yanked out of his pocket. But he didn't notice. Neither one of us noticed. It was crazy. And so we went back to the hostel, and Josh started walking. We would cancel all our cards because we're like, we have to cancel them. Someone stole it. And Josh started walking in circles. He was super angry. He goes, I know that they because t- it's the only place we'd have been all day. Unless it fell out of his pocket, which is what I thought happened, it had to be stolen. And we'd only been to one spot that whole day, which is right across the street from our hostel. So he was like, I'm going to go back there. And I was, I watched him walk across the street. And he, like, he, at this point, the dude starts, we, he's, 
he didn't speak English at first, but as soon as they started arguing, he started speaking English because I wasn't there to translate. Yeah. So lo and behold, lo and behold, the guy does speak English. And Josh, what what was the turning point was Josh whipped out his phone, took a picture, and was like, "I'm going to post your overview of you all over social media." And then he we walked back to the hostel, and an hour later, we got a phone call saying someone had turned in a wallet with our names. Huh. So, so was that the tipping point? After that, that was on our way out of Ecuador, actually. But that was a tipping point for the trip, though. We got our wallet back. Josh is like, things are looking good for us. And after that, the trip was false. Yeah, he said this wallet is lucky, right? Like, I can't believe he still carries that stupid wallet. Like, he's <laughs> missing the zipper because it was stolen. He carries it every it's day. It's a good luck term. But that really was, though, that was the tipping point for the trip. We ended up going to a vineyard after that and working on a vineyard. And then running there was gorgeous. Literally running through vineyards every single day. And then I ran a half marathon in Mar del Plata in Argentina. And then we went to Brazil. My dad actually came out and my sisters for Thanksgiving. And then we went to Dominican Republic. And it was, yeah, pretty simple from there. What was your favorite spot on the trip? Oh, Santa Cruz in Chile, for sure, on the vineyard. Because, I mean, we made we made friends with the owners. And we had, like, friend local friends there. Josh spoke. Like, that's where he finally learned to speak Spanish because they didn't speak English at the restaurant. So in the kitchen, he he worked in the kitchen, and I was a hostess. So we really had to talk Spanish. This whole time, like you said, you were running. Was it fairly consistent? Mm -hmm. And so, like that was like one thing I really liked about being in South America is that I learned that I like really love running. Because I didn't. Most people at this point would have just been like, "You're like running's not going to happen here." It was like logistically speaking. That's why I give Josh so much credit. A lot of times we had to spend a ton of money to get a bike, so Josh could bike with me, or we had to take a cab so I could go run at a spot that wasn't on busy streets. But every single day, that was my priority, was getting a run or work. And my dad was coaching me when I was in South America, just because I knew it was going to be kind of nutty. So I didn't want to make... And my coach, Coach Aaron, had a baby. So I was like, hey, Dad, can you just send me, like, some sort of plan so when I get back to the States, I'm in good shape. And like you said before the trip, you had, you had narrowed down Boulder as kind of a target was running kind of the focal point of narrowing down Boulder as a target, or was it just a, this is a place I want to live, and I'm, a, I'm still going to pursue running, but... It was like with college, when you look for a college, you want to look for a spot where you can be on a team and be happy as a student. We wanted to move somewhere where I could train well and also enjoy life, and that's what Boulder was. So before we went to South America, we had already moved our stuff to Denver. Um, so we knew, coming back, that was what we were doing. We didn't have jobs or a place to live, but... And it wasn't until your agent approached me at Houston Half that you and I started talking yeah. about potentially joining the team. Um, do you know what it was about our team that he... I give Neil all the credit because right when I moved here, he's like, you got to reach out to Roots Running. I'm going to talk to him or I'm going to go talk to them at Houston. Um, this was... that Yeah, that was January. So I literally... That was before I was even in... Boulder, because we moved yeah, here in this, January. this was, like, middle of January. Yeah, so Neil had decided before I moved here, like, that was the group I should join for sure. And I had been... So the end of South America, I couldn't run because I had plantar fasciitis, and I just couldn't get it worked on while I was there. So I hadn't run for almost six weeks when I moved to Boulder. And I was like, Neil, I looked everyone up, their stats. I was like, Neil, they look really fast. I'm not going to request to join a group when I can't even run a mile right now. So I waited, like, a month after living here. Um, and then filled out a questionnaire, a yeah. lengthy questionnaire. Yeah, yeah three-page questionnaire yeah. about your running fast. And part of that, too, is, like, I had talked to him in Houston, and 
after Houston, he reached back out to get our contact information, and then we didn't hear from you, so we figured you just weren't interested. And then in March, you contacted us, and you, Aliyah and myself sat down with you, and one of the questions that we had had was, it you had looked like you had bounced around a couple places, and then obviously going down to South America over the course of a year, the natural impression is... What the hell? This Yeah, this person's <laughs> not super serious about the sport, but it's almost like that time away grew your, like, drive to, and to pursue I knew I loved more. running, yeah. And yeah. Josh, Josh and Josh knew I was serious, too, because, again, it was so hard to get my running in in South America, but we both still made it, like, the priority every single day. Yeah. And for no good reason. Like, I didn't like, I wasn't, like, doing a marathon when I came home or... We did a half marathon out there for fun and a couple of races just for fun. It was just like, I just wanted to be fit. Well, and that was the thing, looking back at your college career, it's like you had a decent amount of success at the collegiate level. You you didn't necessarily show that same type of success immediately as a post-collegiate, but you at least had that ability within you. And so then it becomes this thing of if we can put some structure around you and put you with people that have similar goals and you have training partners that keep you accountable. Like what could you potentially do? And we're seeing those glimpses now. Um, what has this last year experience been? Uh, you've obviously had success. You've set PRs at half marathon and marathon. We're going to try to get you back on the track this spring, which is something that you said kind of excites you a little bit. Cause it's something that you haven't done in such a Since long college, time. Yeah. And that was where you probably had your most success was at the track 10K in college. Well, if you look back at college, it was structured and it was consistent. And that's kind of what I need. Like when I saw the coach of the very first group I joined out of college, we laughed because he's like, oh my gosh, you're grown up now. And I'm like, I told when I introduced Josh, I was like, Josh, this is the coach that was stuck with me my first year out of college. Um, So that's, I mean, that's a little bit of it too. It's just kind of growing up and realizing like how you need to, in college, it was pretty easy to get away with just training, working hard. And not doing all the little things outside of it. I don't know if it's because you're so young and your body recovers better or what it is. but Or I think it's the marathon training too. Like when you're training for marathon, everything else is more important. Um, so what advice would you give like the new collegiate coming out who thinks, I want to pursue post-collegiate running. And they think they want to do it. But they haven't yet established that maturity or discipline or structure. That I would say don't change too much. I think my my biggest downfall right out of college was I changed everything. I moved all the way across the country. I went from the track to marathon focused. Like there was nothing. I had no one from college or no family, no one out there that I knew. It was just too much of a change. And some people at 21 years old might adjust better than I did, but it didn't it didn't work out for me. I would say at least take a year and kind of feel it out. Especially if you work so well with your college coach and your team, look for something that's similar to that. Noah had said something similar. He had joined us when he was 25, but he had been running post-collegiately for two or three years in Indianapolis, doing mostly like local road races. And he had said that same thing too. Like he would almost like tell athletes to like take a year to like just be in your familiarity before then figuring out, okay, where do I want to go? Mm-hmm. And most college coaches aren't going to, they're going to let you train with the group still. I mean, like most of the team, they're still your age. They're still like, they were just your teammates. Most college coaches will let you stay and keep working out with that group. So I'd say if like you don't have a, a 
sponsorship opportunity, but you know, you're not ready to go work 40 hours a week yet, but you're, I would say get a part-time job, just stay in your college town, keep paying cheap rent. And keep- well, and that was my next question too, because like you did have that sponsorship offer coming out. If you had to do it over again, I mean, it kind of brought you to where you are now because you grew through that. Um, would you have made the decision then to stay down in Tucson, continue training in that area for a year? It's probably what I would have done is continue on the track, continue training with Alvin and everyone in Tucson. Yeah, just be part I of that done. familiar group mm-hmm. of training partners. It'd be interesting if that would have ended up driving you up to Portland at some point. Mm-hmm. Driving you, obviously, out to Boulder if you would still be down in Tucson. Yeah, no, I'm very happy with things. How things turned out, it wasn't always an easy route, but, yeah, it's funny to see how things, looking back, how things might have. You never know, because Elvin ended up going to Portland, so maybe we would have gone to Portland together. Yeah, Yeah, you you never know. Josh Josh would still have his wallet with the zipper. (laughs) (laughs) Now, after this year... What has been the biggest difference with training you've done now compared to training you've done in the past other than just being slightly higher volume? Were you used to some of these longer type workouts doing marathon training in the past? Would you have been on the track a little bit more with what you were doing up in Portland? Um, it's, hard. it's honestly hard to compare my training block these last few months to any other blocks. I've never had like a super consistent training block before. So I would say that's the biggest difference is just the consistency, I think. I can't say, yeah, it's too hard to even try and compare it because I've never had like three months of just straight consistent training since college. When you were training back in D.C., like you mentioned some of the people you were training with, they're pretty decent people. Oh, yeah. Do you felt like, did you feel like you were doing a decent job, which I feel like is tough for a lot of young runners to keep yourself accountable with the effort, or did you find yourself overexerting to stay with those people? The training was, was different. It was more like the recovery days were really, really easy and the hard days were really, really hard. Um, and actually the, in the, our coach was great about kind of making it or giving different times and different, I was much lower mileage than the rest of the girls. So yeah, it wasn't that I was trying too hard to keep up with people that are faster than me or that are used to running longer than me. It was just the training style was so different. It was really, really hard days and really, really easy days. And I kept getting little injuries here and there. So, again, it wasn't like I, I could never swing together a full three months of training, even right out of college. Even when I ran the 7404, um, it wasn't uh, – I'd been coming off of like a foot injury a couple months before that. So, yeah, it's just – it's I can, I'm trying to think of a time where I had consistent training before moving to Boulder, and I really can't since Probably college. college. Yeah. yeah. And when you first left, like you said, you, you joined a marathon group. Was that – was the marathon something that excited you right out of college or was it something that, okay, well, I might be good at it, but it kind of makes me a little nervous? I was pretty scared of it. I wasn't, um, we, I had said, I'm, okay, I'm down to do the road racing stuff and try and get a qualifier and a half marathon, but I don't want to do a marathon until the trials. That was, I mean, I was 21. I went to college when I was 17, so I was yeah. 21. I only did four years. I didn't do a registrar year. So I was only 21 at the time. So they did have the marathon. Like, I haven't done a half marathon yet. So that was – and it's not like they, you know, they said you have to do a marathon. It's marathon time. It was just we're going to the roads now. And, yeah, and that's the, the group – I mean, it's the nature of the group you were in. Yeah, like, it's it was a road racing based. group, yeah. yeah. And great marathoners, though. I mean, everyone For in that sure. group has run really good times. Yeah, I think it was Serena 227. 
Or 226 or something. Yeah, yeah. I think Lindsay was 229 under mm-hmm. that. And Megan Christian was in there a little bit. Yeah, I think she was 230. Or so, yeah. But she ran 69 minutes and a half. Mm-hmm. So great group of girls. It just, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Now, looking ahead, have your goals changed over the past year for what you had originally envisioned for yourself coming back into running from South America? Are the goals still the same? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the, I can't remember where I was, but when they had originally come out with the world or the, they had said you have to run 229.30 or be top 10 in a major marathon. I kind of thought, well, there goes like any chance I have because I'm not going to be able to run 229. There's no way. So even though I didn't hit a sub 230 going into the marathon, the fact that like the capability and it's there is pretty cool. Well, and that's obviously Aaliyah still has to run her marathon this fall doing New York in a couple weeks. But on paper right now, the two of you are side by side. So going into trials, we're pretty excited because Mm -hmm. you guys... We haven't been side by side yet. Yet. Yeah. Because Aaliyah was coming off her knee injury in the spring. You were obviously starting your marathon block. So then when she was getting going, she's now starting her marathon block. But you're at the finishing stages of yours. Lexi, obviously, is a young marathon Padawan in waiting that, like, she's going to be riding your guys' coattails for a little bit. But you guys should have at least the two of you with Lexi there for a good portion of it, uh, forming your own kind of little marathon group going into trials. It'll be fun having that that consistency with all three of you there. That would be so fun, yeah. I mean, even going into this, like, I still had Maggie and Lexi for a good chunk of it. And then Aaliyah a little bit at the end of it, but we've never all been on the same page at the same time. Yeah, and I I feel bad for Maggie in some instances because she's more of the shorter stuff up to half marathon. She'll eventually maybe look towards the marathon down the road, but for now she she'll do like the portions of your guys' workouts, but at a little bit higher clip than what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but still having that person that can drive some of the speed work for you guys and then you guys driving the longer stuff for her it's kind of been a nice balance oh yeah because i'm someone i think me and Lee are kind of the same where we typically start out slower rather than faster but i was like at the back end of that where like i'd start out way too slow especially come racing so having to train with lexi and maggie they've taught me like, because sometimes they just go, and I love that about them. Is like they just like to go from the, the beginning. It's great though, because we all balance each other out. But they've really taught me. Like I've gotten so much better, like not being afraid to just go for it. Yeah, how has that been? I mean, I don't want to say you're an old athlete because you're still really. Young. I'm, still, I'm older than them. <laughs> right, but you're older than the two of them, and Aaliyah's our oldest athlete on the team. So you two, as our veteran females, even though you're still relatively young in your post collegiate career. But then you have 23-year-old teammates. You're kind of a mentor to them in a little bit instance, even though you're still getting your feet wet on the team. Um, How has that been having the younger demographic and then the older demographic out of practice? Because I know for me as a coach, it stresses me out. (laughs) For us, it's fun. I can't even think of myself as a mentor to them because the females, they're both so talented especially coming onto the team, like they were in incredible shape doing the, I forget what was the 15 K champs. Yeah. They did really well at 15 K champs. So I didn't really see them as younger than me at all. Like, especially like if you talk about fitness wise, they were with, like leaps and strides ahead of me. It's like with the whole team though, like the, the five of us or the four of us in Chicago were like the old ones on the team. And then the young ones were at home. So that kind of like made, Oh, I was like, wow, there really is like, there's the veterans and then there's the young people. 
So that, and I'm kind of a weird in between because they've, Lexi and Maggie have been on the team longer than me. And they've been racing a lot. And they've raced a lot more than me, so I don't feel like I'm on in either group necessarily, but it is really fun to hear, like, the banter. Everyone on the team is so sarcastic. Like, poor, like, Lexi can't catch a break. Like, the guys are always giving her so much crap, but she takes takes it pretty well. Her and Maggie take it pretty well. Yeah. It's It's, funny. It's because our guys are so sassy, though. Oh, they're so sassy. They're, They're funny, though. I think, I forget, someone was cracking jokes as we were going to the start line for Chicago, but that's what I love about it, is, like, it's never... Because like there's it's sometimes it's hard to run when we're warming up because people just say ridiculous stuff and it's hard to run when you're laughing really hard. Yeah, it's also hard to take yourself too seriously too long before you just bring yourself out in the sport. Yeah, so it's nice to have a little bit of perspective out there. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, look, uh, right now you told me before that you're not that sore coming off Chicago. Have you run that yet at all this week? No. Well, I ran the day after. I did a little, little two-mile trot. I won't even call it a run. It was yeah. a trot and a pool running. I'll run. I'm, I think I'm, I'll have to look at my schedule. I had 30 minutes today. I'm pushing yeah. that to tomorrow. Uh-huh. My legs are feeling okay, though. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing or if it's the training into it. My quads are definitely sore. I think the soreness will come into effect when I'm actually running. Like, when I start to, like, actually start training again, I think I'll feel it more than I do now. Yeah, and you won't get that for a few weeks, but it's more with missing so much time, obviously, of competitive racing. You've had a pretty successful year going into this year. We're going into the trials in February, and then you want to get back on the track to try to qualify for the track trials. Do you do you foresee that being challenging now coming off a big PR at Chicago to then turn around and going back into a marathon block for trials or is it something that's motivating for you because you've gotten that little bit of success and now you want to see what you can do against all the top women in the U.S.? I feel like coming off of Chicago I already feel like a stronger runner like especially I had so much injury anxiety with the last marathon block with my feet because my last like literally four or five injuries have all been my feet. So like every single day I'd wake up and be like, okay, like what's going to hurt my foot today? Mm-hmm. So waking up like in these last three days from the marathon, nothing in my feet hurt. Like the arches are a little bit sore, but it's pretty even. That has given me a lot of confidence that if I can handle 26 miles going at this pace and I'm coming off at a pretty okay, obviously I need a few down weeks, but I think like, it honestly kind of just more like another – another uh added to the fitness bank for the trials if you could remember back to the end points of chicago what what were you telling yourself when you know it's going south to get to the line to finish so i'm, I'm very proud of myself because i stayed positive the whole time like there was never a point where i was like i just need to drop out i'm slowing down like all my a goals are out the window i did stay positive i remember there was a couple low points where i started counting to 100 just yeah, to be like that was crazy if i can make it i did that a few times i'm like if i can make it to 100 then i'm okay and i'll just do it again and i think i well, i don't know where i got that idea from or maybe from dina's book i read her book before uh, during the training block mm-hmm. or could it come from meb's book i can't remember i read both of those yeah um but i just remember thinking just get to 100 and you're gonna be half a mile closer and that kind of helps. It was, yeah, it was painful last six miles. So I, I remember thinking about everybody that was tracking me, which is more people than I even know, because I got so many messages after it was overwhelming. And then seeing, obviously, you and Neil and Josh, like that was always a burst of energy. And, and the fans were great. Yeah, that was after. I know. Yeah, Chicago was super fun. Yeah. My, my roommates from college live in Chicago. It really couldn't have been a more perfect, perfect weekend. 
Yeah, and that's something that obviously, like, good, bad, or ugly, you hope to have a positive experience with the race in general, which Chicago does a great job before and after of just making you guys as the athletes feel very, very welcome. Um, with the majors in the future, do you foresee wanting to do all five of them? Do you like the? Uh, would you like to keep it more domestic or would international marathon travel something that intrigues you? Oh, after Chicago, I'd love to do them all. Yeah. I thought it was so fun. It was like more fun than any other marathon. The people that were cheering, they don't know you, were just so nice. And having your name on the bid makes you feel like a celebrity because everyone's screaming out your last name. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Uh, final thoughts going into trials. Any big goals you want to put on paper now before we start getting into the next block? Oh, that's pressure. We haven't even talked about that yet. I know. It's a spur <laughs> of the moment. Um, Obviously, we know it's going to be a hilly course. Atlanta will pose a different set of challenges than trying to go out and run a certain time standard. Now, if you PR on that course, obviously you're having a really effing good day. I was just going to say, I think I could PR because obviously 234 was a huge PR, but I think I was in shape to do a little better had things gone differently. So I think even just hitting a small PR in Atlanta is not out of the question, especially if I can get my miles up because I do, I am still pretty low for a marathoner. Yeah. And that's something we talked about right after not necessarily like having to make a big jump, but just having more consistency of what you've had Mm -hmm. is also going to make a big difference. Yeah. Especially that last, I've never run a marathon and I think the biggest goal would be to get to 20 miles and feel like I can, I can race somebody. Because every marathon I've done with six miles to go, it's like just survive, count, make it to the finish. I want to get to my t- mile 20 and like have, if someone comes up on me, I can race them. Or I want to be the one passing people. Which is what trials is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Six, six to ten of the last mile, that's where the group will, the race will really start ramping up. That's everyone always says, it's a marathon. If you're racing it, it's a 20 mile tempo and a six mile race. Yeah, it's like, so I've never had that experience in a marathon yet. Yeah, I think I said something like 80% of the race is getting to the line healthy, 10% is the first 20 miles, 10% is the last 10K. Mm-hmm. So they, they weigh pretty heavily, and that's where we're, when we're splitting hairs, you just ran a phenomenal race comparative to anything you've done before. Like I pointed out, it's your highest scoring IAAF mark of anything you've had in your past. Mm-hmm. But it is something when we're splitting hairs and looking at your splits, like having more consistency early where you start feeling a little bit more comfortable at that speed to where you still leave something left in the tank that you can shift gears with that last 10 K. And that's where training consistency, volume, longer blocks. And over time, just getting more familiar with the distance will make a big difference. Yeah, that would definitely be the goal is just nail that last 10 K. Well, nice job this past weekend. We were very proud of you lot of bright stuff in your future, especially if I can do my job and keep you healthy in the process. I was going to back to where we started with, I think you're going to be getting a lot of questions after this more than me. Yeah. The (laughs) consistency health, like getting to the starting line, that's a win in and of itself because you at least give yourself a chance to see what you can do once the gun goes off. Mm -hmm. But getting there is half the battle. Well, congrats, and once we bring it back to trials, you got Houston coming up in January. Hopefully, we'll do another one of these where you can look back at Chicago and think, man, I only ran 234 in there. (laughs) 
What a slow day. Yeah, nice job, Jeff. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys.